0: Hello, and welcome to Out of Order, a German Marshall Fund podcast. My name is Peter Sparding. I'm a fellow here at GMF, and I will function as your host for this episode. So we're a bit more than a week out from the summit between the United States and North Korea and Singapore. So today we wanted to talk about where things stand and what this all means. To help put all these complicated developments into perspective, I am joined by a GMF all-star group. First in Berlin, we have our esteemed colleague, Janka Oertel, who is a fellow with GMF's Asia program there. Hi, Janka. Hey, Peter. And then here in D.C., I have with me both Andrew Small and Jamie Fly, who are also with our Asia program. I would like to see if we can tackle this issue from at least two angles. So one would be the summit itself and what recent developments mean for the region and regional and international order. And then secondly, uh, in light of our podcast theme of a changing international order, I wonder if we can explore kind of what this new form of relationship means for authoritarianism and our approach to these types of governments. But first, we will start with a recap of what happened and where we stand. And for that, I thought to uh, turn to Janka. So... Yanka, we know that uh, when President Obama left office, he told President Trump that this would be the major international topic for him. So how did we get to this curious situation that we find ourselves in now?
1: First of all, the DPRK problem then with Korean nuclear problem is a huge challenge to the international order, not only because it's a human rights issue, but it's also a non-proliferation issue and it's a security issue. So it's a huge question for the international order as such. And it's not a problem of Trump's making, but it's a problem that has persisted over decades. Um, The DPRK has been a nightmare scenario and they have behaved like a a nightmare regime because they have tested missiles like they've never tested them before. Um, They have conducted their first ICBM test or the ICBM missile demonstration, because it's still unclear whether it was a test or not. They have conducted a nuclear test. So the situation was escalating. While this was going on, Trump was responding, the Trump administration was responding with a maximum pressure campaign that was Uh, also was consisting of economic measures, but also of demonstration of military might in cooperation with the allies and on the economic side, especially China joined in and helped to try to put pressure on the North Korean regime to behave according to international rules. After this range of tests, the North Korean regime declared itself officially a nuclear power. And then in the New Year's speech at the beginning of this year, Kim Jong-un basically uh, turned around and said, now that we are a nuclear power, we can actually start engaging with the world again. And he has to turn to the economy because the maximum pressure campaign actually worked in a certain way, um, that the economy in the North was severely under pressure and Kim Jong-un had to get rid of international sanctions. So when he turned towards um, the the international community again and uh, tried to reach out and and, uh, asking for um, interactions, it was the moon government in South Korea that kind of responded first and reached out with an initial inter-Korean summit, which was laid the groundwork for then what followed. Last week was the the big event, the first ever meeting between a, a sitting U.S. president and the North Korean leader. Now, uh, this meeting in Singapore is uh, was historic in, in many perspectives, and it was. Especially interesting to see how it was perceived um, from regional players uh, around.
0: Would you uh, characterize the summit itself and the result as a success, as the president has stated, or are you more skeptical?
1: Well, I think it's important to see where we came from. I think the, um, the escalatory rhetoric that was used on both sides, the belligerent words that were exchanged um, between the Trump administration and the regime in North Korea had led to a very dangerous situation in, in late last year um, where we were very short before a, a potential military escalation of the situation. Um, and any step towards a diplomatic solution should be considered a somewhat of a success whether this is a sustainable solution still remains to be seen, because these are very, very preliminary results that could have been that were agreed on in Singapore. But of course, um, it is much better when it's uh, back into a process that it hasn't been before. And um, in the in the outcome document at the Singapore summit, Mike Pompeo was named as the as the lead. So it's back with the State Department as the, pro- the as, as a diplomatic process, which is also something that should be um, seen as a, as a positive step towards a normalization of the diplomatic negotiations that will probably carry on for a long time now to get somewhere and to to move the needle a little bit on the North Korean issue.
0: Okay, so uh, Jamie, let me turn to you. You're a long time uh, U.S. foreign policy. Follower and uh, maker. I wonder if you uh, share this slightly um, optimistic—I don't know if that's the right
2: characterization—but uh, view of the of the summit itself and of the relationship, or if you are more critical. So I'm a bit more skeptical, primarily because I worry about what we gave up as part of this summit process. Uh, President Trump, the Young is correct. There was a war of words. There were threats. There were constant tweets and statements on both sides threatening military action, I'm I'm skeptical that we were ever on the brink of some sort of confrontation. So I think a lot of this was a crisis created by President Trump to put pressure on Pyongyang, and that at least seems to have worked for now. Um, but I guess I reject the notion that we were a tweet away from nuclear conflict or something like that, which I think uh, has caused some to be overly optimistic about. Where we ended up, Uh, what I'm worried about is I guess I'm an old-fashioned conservative who is skeptical of engaging dictators without some sort of preconditions. And if you look at uh, what uh, President Trump got out of this summit, it's actually much weaker commitments than the the North Korean regime has pledged on multiple occasions to presidents of both parties in the past. And so I don't think we're anywhere near uh, denuclearization. And in the process, we've also uh, driven a wedge, I think, uh, between the United States and some of our closest allies in the region who appeared to have been caught off guard completely. Even the South Koreans, who are very supportive of this engagement, uh, they seem to have no idea that things like a halt in military exercises was being put on the table. Even more concerningly, for the long run is the fact that the president himself Seems to be uh, hinting, at least, that he's open to eventual drawdown of the U.S. presence on the peninsula, perhaps even completely. Obviously, when you start talking about things like this in terms of what will save money, that's a message that resonates at least uh, domestically here in the U.S., And I think the only uh, regional power that would benefit from these sorts of eventualities in the long run is probably China, which this administration claims is its primary focus on standing up uh, to China once and for all, unlike its predecessors. Let's come back to the Trump question and his approach a bit later. But I think you already
0: mentioned China. So I wanted to explore a bit the uh, regional outlook and the potential for a drawdown of U.S. troops, as you mentioned, seems to benefit one country specifically. So, Andrew, let me ask you maybe to put this in context. How do the Chinese view this? Um, I know they were involved in the preparations uh, of the summit. There were some meetings between President Xi and Kim Jong-un, but are are they happy uh, with, with this
3: result? One prominent Chinese analyst interviewed in the last few days described it as too good to be true. And that they would reserve judgment until they see. I mean, this is particularly with reference to the proposal to um, stop military exercises. Um, I mean, from the Chinese perspective, the maximum pressure campaign and and in in some respects, the the, the elevated rhetoric, um, although it was partly designed to put pressure on on North Korea directly, um, a lot of it was clearly also directed at China um, and about raising in the minds of Chinese policymakers some of the kind of worst case scenarios for for them and uh, there, are a, there are a couple of outcomes um, in North Korea that they would have been very concerned about one um, obviously a long standing concern about regime collapse has been has, has kind of guided their their approach for uh, for for many years, um, but scenarios that involved either actual U.S. military action, um, which um, could of course draw them into direct conflict as well, um, or simply escalated military pressure on North Korea. Um, that, although actually directed at North Korea, the Chinese would see as also um, having uh, being directed at them and 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 giving benefits to the United States um, in its posture vis-a-vis um, China more broadly. And you saw this battle playing out with um, with THAAD, um, for instance, relatively recently. Uh, so the concern on on China's part, these were these were the scenarios that China didn't want to see, most of the other scenarios that are now resulting from this are relatively good for China. Um, and there's been some speculation that China is concerned about being cut out of the process and, and these sorts of things. In practice, the sort of negotiating objectives that you uh, have on, on, on North Korea's part going into this and the sort of potential near to medium term outcomes that you, you see, China will be relatively comfortable with quite a lot of them. Um, if there's an opening up um, of North Korea and sanctions relief, China's very happy to uh, to see that um if you simply have uh, a scenario in which this stuff is kind of put uh, Is it, put off until further down the line, um, but you have a de-escalation of, of rhetoric. Uh, that's also, I, I think, seen as um, a more benign scenario for uh, for, for China. Um, the, there's a story that when they, uh, when when Xi Jinping came to Mar a Lago for the the, the first uh, visit that he he, he made um, under the Trump presidency last year, he he said to President Trump, "You're a strong leader, unlike your predecessors who weren't willing to do." The, the, the big thing that had to be done. Um, they were too weak to see that you need to go and have um, a, a one-on-one meeting uh, with Kim Jong-un. Um, and whether the, the, this story is, is, is true or not, um, I, I think the sense is that this is the, the, the fact of the summit and the manner of the summit is something that the Chinese have been um, keen to see for, for some time. Um, and of course, the very language that's been used by um, President Trump around um, the, uh, the military exercise um, these are provocative and things like that. this. This echoes Chinese rhetoric on military exercises of all sorts being conducted um, in in the region, including um, those conducted um, uh, around the peninsula. So, from from a Chinese perspective, right now, this this looks pretty good.
0: And he calls those
3: military exercises war games,
0: too. If I'm not mistaken, right? right. Yes. <laughs> Yanka, you you watch the Chinese uh, reaction pretty closely as well. Do you have anything to add to this? I
1: think I think that's uh, very true. And as, the longer the negotiations drag on, the more time China has to insert itself in the process. I mean, we shouldn't forget that they had been in the lead on this before. The six-party talks were something that were where China played a very very active role in something a, a role that they were kind of looking to gain back from this one. And of course, they were a little uncomfortable with being left out the door um, on the on the bilateral summit between um, the U.S. And, and uh, North Korea, but the very subtle messaging that they used—Kim Jong Un arriving in an Air China airplane, um, every picture of every all of the first pictures of Kim Jong Un with the Chinese flag next to his head—were um, of course uh, intended also to the to domestic consumption in China, saying we're basically in control, we're there even though we're not there, um, we will play a significant role, and as China is controlling the economic future of North Korea, pretty much. As long as sanctions remain in place, they will have a significant amount of leverage as well. And we have to face the fact, I think, that even if sanctions are lifted, U.S. companies are not gonna go in and invest massively in North Korea. The economic benefits will be shared by South Korea um, and China, and to a certain degree of Russia as well. This links nicely into into like the whole understanding of order as well that China has for the region, because it would open up North Korea and and, and eliminate that artificial island role that South Korea has in the region, and allow for economic integration in East Asia that is very beneficial to China's Belt and Road project.
3: The one caveat um, to to all of this, I mean, that which which you've also seen in the last week is. That um, the Trump administration pushed ahead with the first round with the first major round of uh, tariffs directed at china, um, and so the, the the one kind of black mark for them is um, uh, if there 's a scenario in which uh, they are less central to the negotiations um, that everything 's been de escalated that that North Korea can kind of be dialed down a couple of notches um, then you can argue, and, and I mean, I think some in the administration have argued that this kind of opens the way um, to then be able to move ahead with um, certain measures, at least on, on trade directed at China, um, that where there'd been a degree of caution um, about this in the past for reasons that were partly North Korea related, at least seemingly in the mind of um, of, of the president. So um, that there is that there is a version in which this this can open the door to some of the more uh, confrontational. Um, uh measures on on in in the trade sphere that had been had been held up until now um but i think even with that um w- with that caveat i think in terms of the broader security order questions um in the region for china this it, it still looks like a relatively benign outcome
0: yeah okay let 's turn this to the view maybe from from the u s side this Sounds almost like China is one of the big winners in this. But from a U.S. point of view, I mean, there's this discrepancy that we've described that on the one hand, you have this opening to North Korea, um, which benefits China. But then you have very strong rhetoric in other areas and, and actually tariffs and directly on Chinese goods from the U.S. So, Jamie... Do you see any, is this a strategy, is this a new approach to the region from the U.S., or is this just ad hoc, complete separation of areas, trade on the one hand and security issues on the other? This does not seem like it's a coherent mix from the outset, but is there something behind this, you think?
2: No, I think it's an ad hoc uh, tactical approach. And with North Korea, I think in general... President Trump was just looking for some sort of win, which he has now claimed. He's already said the problem is essentially solved and told Americans they can sleep well at night because there's no more missile tests and supposedly no more nuclear threat. And the American prisoners, at least the current group of them, have come home. So from his perspective, at least for now, he's gotten what he wants. I think the question is, over time, how will this process play out? And I think uh, most people who have observed past negotiations with North Korea, as I said before, can point to even less in this statement than previous agreements. And so uh, from most foreign policy watchers, there's a high level of skepticism about how long these discussions can even continue before it's very apparent that Kim Jong-un is not interested in actually changing policy, getting rid of his nuclear weapons, uh, let alone opening up his regime to outside economic benefit or engagement. That's the other thing which I think is troubling about this approach. It's all based on this notion that if he gives up his nuclear weapons, that somehow his regime uh, will also open up economically. Uh, the U.S. might have an embassy in North Korea. as the president spoke about condos on the beach, um, which I think is highly unrealistic given what we know of the North Korean regime. Because the reality is, I think Kim Jong-un realizes That unlike a place like China where you've had uh, openness happen slowly over time, the the notion of immediate outside intervention of tourists, of economic engagement, that at the end of the day is a fundamental risk for Kim Jong-un. Uh, And so I think even a lot of the administration's broader engagement strategy is just predicated on something which is incredibly unrealistic.
1: But may I jump in here quickly, Peter? Um, Because I think, I mean, it's it's, on the other hand, Kim Jong-un is under pressure so much from the inside as well if he doesn't do anything about this. So I think it's a careful balancing act that he's playing. Um, carefully opening up. It's already almost 50% of the GDP is based on market um, market forces in North Korea. This is a different North Korea than it was a decade or 15 years ago. Um, this is a North Korea that is a lot more open just to the fact, just because of the mere fact that there is access to information now that hasn't been there um, decades ago. This is also a completely new set of actors at play. So Xi Jinping is unlike his predecessors in the way he conducts foreign policy. Kim Jong-un has never been engaged in these kinds of negotiations. negotiations. Negotiations before he's really young. Um, Donald Trump is definitely everything, and especially unconventional in the uh, the worst and maybe best sense as well. So, um, so I think we it's it's really difficult to extrapolate from previous negotiations to this one. I think we are at a different stage here. It doesn't mean it needs to. It will be a success. But I think it will be different um, in in the way it is conducted. And um, the pressure that comes from the younger generation in North Korea will be more significant now than it has ever been before.
0: So, Yanga, can I follow up with this? Because there's one thing that I think sometimes gets a bit undercovered because it's seen as an issue between the US and North Korea. But um, a lot of the Uh, force and the driving force behind this development seems to uh, come from south korea and and actually there seems to be quite a bit of support as was mentioned before for this process what is the perspective from the south korean government and population i from what i've read there's actually support for this approach but what what do they think might be the the end game here is there belief that this leads to a real process that might solve the broader issues on the peninsula
1: Yes, and I think that's something that we have to be just really um, mindful of. About a year ago, um, President Moon came into office. He gave a speech here in Berlin, in this in this very city, um, talking about reunification and peace on the peninsula. And we were in this in this phase where there was tests going on, and everyone was kind of laughing. But he had a plan, and he has. Um, been a very constant force in this entire game, and he has basically acted as somewhat as as a mediator. He has he was um, the prep team. For, uh, for the Trump-Kim summit, even his advisors, his national security advisor, announced the potential of a Trump-Kim meeting on the White House lawn. So there was a very active role in South, uh, by the South Korean side here. Um, and, and that is, um, they have stood back a little bit now to get, to get the process rolling. Um, but there is a significant interest on the South Korean side, uh, a self-interest, to move this, to to not make this a problem any longer, but to move this further and to engage in a process that will eventually lead at least to a more stable peace on the peninsula.
0: Okay, let me, uh, I think I have one more country that I would like to at least touch on, um, and that's Japan, Uh, although there are of course many actors in this, but I'm just wondering because Initially in the presidency, the Trump presidency, Japan and its leader, we seen as quite close. And Shinzo Abe was in D.C. just uh, before this um, summit again. So, Andrew, I wonder if you could just give us the, the basic, how does this look from Japan? Are, are they worried being cut out and, and forgotten in a potential deal here?
3: I mean traditionally um in I mean going back to the six party talks and before uh the the overriding concern for Japan was the abductees issue being kept on the agenda and and i mean privileged in in the discussions um of course there's also a uh, there's, the, there's' there's a more fundamental set of questions uh, now in in terms of uh the risk of differentiation between US and and Japanese um, interests when it comes to, for instance, um, I mean, there is a plausible uh, near-term negotiating objective um, which um, uh, would would involve North Korea maintaining It's, it's nuclear arsenal, but on ICBMs, because I mean, remembering in the first instance, um, all of this was escalated primarily, um, because of the advances in North Korean missile capabilities, um, to a stage where they could hit the continental United States. This was, this was the kind of initial, um, uh, reason that the, 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 um, of, of the kind of surge in concern on, on the US side. Um, uh, that creates some scope for, um, a gap between um what the United States under donald trump um, wants to see um and where the Japanese uh, would like to come out, which is of course prioritizing um a view in terms of threats to allies in 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 the region that is um uh, that, that that gives uh, that, that, that gives japan 's role and, and and south korea's role um due weight um so the precisely the the, the statements about um uh, uh stopping military exercises um, and and of course the the, the, the potential scenario that, that that sees a us drawdown um, in in South Korea all anything that hints at the view that um, allies' concerns and allies' security interests in the region um, are not going to be prioritised. I think that's now moved ahead of the the old concerns that were there um, about the fact that the abductees issue was not going to be dealt with seriously enough in the negotiation. Um, uh, so I think publicly the Japanese have come out and made relatively sort of supportive statements about this. Privately, I think they uh, they're, they're they're very nervous about. Uh, about where this is going, and uh, in the broader context of the relationship, after as you say in the early stages, Abe was seen as one of the kind of successful trump handlers and and actually the Japanese um have also been um hit hard on the on the tariffs. Front as well, um, uh, and I think Japan is is kind of in one sense. If you're looking at nervous allies around the world teaming up to figure out um, how to navigate this administration, Japan is very much one of those uh, nervous allies um, uh, right now. And um, I, I think in the in the G seven as well on the on on the crunch uh, issues, um, Japan's lined up with 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 the Europeans on these on on, on the big questions.
0: Yeah, that's actually a good pointer here. I want to shift gears a little bit and you mentioned the G7. I want to look at the Summit uh, and the surrounding developments, a bit from the point of view of what this means for how the U.S. and uh, maybe more broadly uh, other countries are dealing with authoritarianism and and uh, countries like North Korea, but also uh, other countries with Russia, China, and and so on. It was interesting that the summit came just a few days right after the G7 summit, where there was basically a clash between the U.S. and its regular allies, as as Andrew mentioned and called them nervous allies, which I think is a good term. So, Jamie. You know, especially when uh, Ambassador Bolton came into the White House, I was told that uh, there would now be a, a much tougher line on countries like North Korea and, and so on. But instead, we have we have seen these developments. Is this, in view of you, a, a, an overall shift in U.S. foreign policy? Is this just Trump? What is behind this, and what does it mean also for the broader international order when the U.S. engages in this way with
2: authoritarian states? I don't know that a broad shift is underway. I do think it's interesting. It's an interesting sign, though, of certainly President Trump's own limited worldview. Uh, he's always spoke more spoke, spoken more favorably about authoritarians than many U.S. allies, and so this is clearly consistent with that. Uh, having gone from blowing up the G7 meeting to backslapping with Kim Jong Un, uh, it says it all right there. The interesting thing for me is actually. There's been a role reversal now over the last week between the Republican and Democratic parties here in in the U.S. on this issue. Republicans used to criticize President Obama for doing a rather tame version of what President Trump just did, being tough on an ally like Israel and cozying up to the Mullahs in Iran, for instance one example, or being tough on our central European allies and getting rid of missile defense sites and cozying up to President Medvedev in Russia. Mitt Romney actually, when he ran against President Obama, called him out on this and criticized the so-called global apology tour. Uh, Hillary Clinton even criticized President Obama uh, or then candidate Obama at the time for being too naive and thinking that he should engage uh, people like the North Korean leader uh, or the leader of Cuba without some sort of preconditions. Uh, now it's the Democrats that are very skeptical about this approach and the pr- Republican Party under Donald Trump is uh, seeing soaring high approval ratings for Kim Jong-un, who's the world's most repressive, brutal dictator. Uh, so it's, it's uh, had an interesting uh, readout here in American politics. I think the concerning thing over the long run and, uh, you know, like I said, I think some of this started with President Obama. Um, I don't think that the United States necessarily needs to sit down with every dictator. I do think that uh, there are certain standards we should hold other countries to, other negotiating partners to. Certainly, if there's an existential threat involved, like during the Cold War with the Soviet Union, I think there is a way to engage with despotic regimes. I think that even if you can carve out narrow areas of cooperation, like arms control, You still routinely, uh, almost every meeting, need to bring up issues like human rights. Uh, And I think we're getting further and further away from that in this type of engagement of, like I said, the world's most brutal dictator. Supposedly human rights were brought up, but whatever was said on human rights, I think – uh, was immediately overshadowed by both the personal uh, chemistry between the two leaders, uh, which was very uh, almost kind of friendly, uh, back-slapping, as I said before, and then the comments that uh, President Trump made uh, afterwards, where he actually did an interview with Voice of America, which was uh, intended to be beamed into North Korea and translated into, into Korean. And he was asked, well, what do you say to the people of North Korea? And instead of a defiant message of hope, America is with you, he basically said, you know, your repressive dictator is a great guy, uh, which is kind of unheralded un, uh, American foreign policy. So I think there are a lot of uh, troubling aspects of the way that we're now believing that we need to engage with authoritarians. And at the end of the day, I'm not convinced, like I said before, that a whole lot uh, new is going to come out of this and we're even going to make progress on the limited areas of cooperation we're trying to carve out. And in the process, I think we're giving up a lot uh, morally uh, as as part of this new thinking that uh, really treats authoritarians better than our allies.
0: Can I quickly follow up since uh, we have you here and you're a long-time uh, Republican foreign policymaker. And I wonder if what you make of the fact that there's not been much pushback from elected officials, uh, I mean, some, you know, re- rhetorically, but but nothing has, has happened. And as I mentioned before, you know, we have people in the administration who would usually take a harder line and they don't seem to be vocal about it. Is this just uh, for domestic reasons, there's the, the elections coming up and so on there, that this all gets subsumed? Or what do you make of that? Are you disappointed?
2: Yeah, certainly I'm disappointed. I think a lot of Republicans are uh, Even those who are quite concerned are rather silent mainly because of the politics. Democrats were quick to criticize. So as soon as Democrats criticize, it's hard for most Republicans to join that criticism. Uh, And as the polling has shown, the president's won the messaging war already on this. Uh, Public views about North Korea are shifting just as they have about Russia during the course of this presidency. So it's very difficult uh, to be a vocal critic given that the president clearly has – at least Republican voters, buying his narrative on this issue. Um, You know, I think the interesting thing will be what kind of oversight gets done by Congress. Uh, As we saw during the Iran negotiations, Congress has a lot of tools at, at its disposal to have administrations report on what they're doing even during the negotiations. The administration has also claimed that whatever agreement is struck, if there is one, it will be submitted as a treaty. Which will be incredibly difficult to get through the Senate uh, and that will be another opportunity for senators of both parties to really dig into the details. And as for the internal critics, my guess with them, I mean John Bolton has been through many a North Korea negotiation in the past. Um, He's probably – my sense is pretty skeptical that this is going to go anywhere uh, and is most likely biding his time until it starts to fall apart and he may be able to give it a nudge at certain key moments to uh, send it in that direction. Um, It'll be interesting to see how the divide develops between people like him, Secretary Pompeo, who's now been tasked with implementing this. This could really become a key legacy issue, both either good or bad for Secretary Pompeo, who by some accounts harbors some higher aspirations. And so if this all blows up in his face, it's obviously not going to be uh, good for his uh, tenure as Secretary of State. And so we'll just have to see how those elements all play out in the next few months.
1: Um, I was just wondering, I mean, uh, there was a discussion here in Europe about um, how a potential peace treaty would look like um, because the armistice agreement would have to be turned into a formal peace treaty in the end if it's not just an agreement. If it's a treaty, then it has to be ratified by Congress, as you just mentioned. How could Congress be against peace? Um, do you really think it would be a problem to um, to vote on a peace treaty in Congress that will uh, end a war in Korea that has been going on for decades?
2: It's an interesting question. I, I've heard mixed things from different legal experts about the actual armistice. Uh, by some accounts, the U.S. may not even need to sign uh, that peace treaty. Uh, it would be the U.N., I guess perhaps, uh, signing that agreement. And so you're right. If if the administration could kind of package an armistice together with some sort of nuclear agreement into a treaty, that might make it more difficult to vote against. Uh, but I'm not sure. I mean, there was some speculation even that President Trump and, and Kim Jong-un in Singapore would announce some agreement relating to ending the war. Um, I don't know that the actual act of ending the war needs to become a formal treaty inside the U.S., partly because of the U.N. role.
0: Okay, so Yanka, let me actually turn to you and, and ask how this question of, um, you know, Western leaders, in this case President Trump, or the actual leading power on the West, how its changing approach to authoritarians looks from, from Europe. I, It's closely watched, I'm sure, because there are a lot of European countries that um, worry about other countries in their neighborhood, but in general, how how does how is this played in Europe, if at all? Are people watching this closely, and and what do they make of it?
1: I think there is no Europe in this one, um, so it's viewed in very very different ways around here. And it's definitely viewed differently from Germany than it is from Eastern Europe, for example. Um, I think the way um, the the uh, entire um, yeah the entire scenery played. Um, in, with the G7 summit and then going to Singapore and having this, uh, this meeting with, the, with, uh, uh, with Kim Jong-un and this weird movie that was shown portraying uh, the potential of North Korea, uh, Kim Jong-un as the hero and Donald Trump as the savior of, of world peace. Um, that was something that was viewed with quite some skepticism of course here in Germany especially after the snub at the g7 meeting um, it, I think though that that some of this appeals to a certain uh, part in Europe as well um, the strong man leadership is something that is some uh, apparent here as well in the policy discussions in Europe, Um, and and that's not only limited to to Eastern Europe, it's also in in Southern Europe as well. So while the summit itself and while the situation in North Korea is not of immediate relevance to most of the Europeans, um, it is more of an issue of long-term non-proliferation, human rights, not issues that are on the top of the agenda in Europe at the moment, where we grapple with other more immediate problems, um, but it is it is uh, the, the way it was conducted by the Trump administration was something that was viewed with a little bit of awe in some uh, in some areas and and, and respect, um, and in some areas with great disgust.
0: Andrew, do you share this view? Do you have any different different perspectives on this? I mean, we've seen uh, you know approaches now um, in the last few years to other. Uh, countries we already talked about, Iran, there was also the opening to Cuba, but this seems different. What do you make of this approach from the US and what it means for the international order?
3: I suppose, broadly speaking on the European side, the the greater concern has been more confrontational policies with some of these countries. There's been um, some enthusiasm for uh, diplomatic openings um, uh, with, with with these regimes. Um, I, I say it, it breaks down differently across uh, across the continent. This this is true, but um, I, I think if there was the sort of general mainstream um, European foreign policy view on this, I think there's clearly more enthusiasm for uh, this iteration of the. North Korea policy, um, even with the obvious kind of uh, caveats that are there, than what you had last year. Um, I think the broader concern is 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 rather um, this kind of the the flavour of the policy that's emerging, um, in which uh, the clearly is. Greater comfort level with some of these authoritarian regimes across the board than there is with these irritating liberal um uh, uh european uh, allies um, and some irritating uh, north american um, allies um, as well um and I, the 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 uh, the line um that was quoted in one of the newspapers supposedly from the meeting between macron and trump um in which uh, trump is in which Macron is supposed to have said, you know, we, we have a China problem, we should work together on it. Um, and the response comes back from President Trump, the European Union is worse than China. Um, and, uh, and, and of course this is, in, this, this had a kind of trade focus to it, um, uh, in one way, but I, I think also captures some of the, the, the flavor of, of, of a sense that, um, this version of a liberal international order, um, uh is uh it, there's, there's going to be more robust efforts if anything on 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 the uh, now and in in this year uh not not just to kind of uh, it's not a neutral position on it i mean it, the 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 sense is that elements of this may be Unraveled by the United States. Um, I mean, this was one of the G7 negotiating um, issues at, at, at one point. The objection to using the term "rules-based order," um, and there may be areas um, uh, of policy in the administration, um, uh, you know, coming out of the Pentagon, things where, where where this is still rigorously adhered to, and as 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 language. Um, but there are more and more uh, areas where it looks like um, to to some of the Europeans and, and elsewhere, like there are going to be efforts to to uh, dismantle parts of it and and that's the other kind of nervous allies uh zone um where um it, it's not in, in some I mean there, there, there are concerns um I, I think that were there and it may come back again about you know again deals being cut with authoritarians um across um uh over your heads um the same thing that you've seen with with South Korea the anxiety is that you know you could you could see a a variant of this with uh with with Russia um and so there is that strand of concerns, but um, I think when it comes to the um, uh, the trade realm um, uh, in particular, that's that's really looming the largest at the moment. That the, the sense is that that bit of 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 the order may be um, on 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 the verge of being blown up.
0: Okay, so I thought to uh, end this, I'm going to go around and ask you the easiest question of how this will play out. Um, so maybe. Um, start with Jamie. How do you think? So it seems already, you know, in the U.S., the news cycles are now basically a couple of hours long. So we're already in the the next uh, the thing here, and the focus has kind of shifted a little bit from the summit. But over the next six months, a year or so, there's now obviously some sort of negotiation process. But from the U.S. Uh, view, how does this play out? Because although the president says it's solved, really it isn't. There's still the 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 threat that uh, initiated all of this. What do you what do you think?
2: I mean I think well I think President Trump was pretty blunt uh in his press conference about how this will probably play out. He said I may be standing up in front of you in 6 months and nothing's happened and I'll make up something. And then the media laughed. And the media laughed. And so I think we'll head into some variant of that. Uh it'll be interesting to see how far the negotiators actually get whether they can get uh Kim Jong Un's regime to budge at all and make any real progress other than blowing up a site here and there. Uh, which we think they've done, although the administration hasn't even been willing to share clearly with the press what exactly they think the North Koreans have done. Um, The other thing, if the North Koreans are smart, they will perhaps throw a lot of effort into this POW recovery effort of remains of American soldiers uh, who died in the Korean War. That was an issue which the president brought up uh, to great emotional effect, uh, in the press conference and has touted several times since. So I think they could actually get a lot of latitude just by uh, making some quick progress in that area and sending more remains home quickly. It's a good news story for the administration. He said the the parents of soldiers had asked him to do this during the campaign trail. Those parents would be 120 years old. Yeah, he obviously exaggerated that. However, there have been several stories since the summit about children of uh, soldiers who disappeared, who never met their parents or family members who never knew what their ultimate fate was. So again, I think he can get some credit if there's progress in that area. So I think we'll see in in some of those, on some of those issues, there may be minimal progress. And the question is then, when does the clock run out? When does the administration, people who are more skeptical inside the administration, under sustained pressure from maybe a skeptical media, actually admit that this is no different than in the past. In the past, administrations under similar circumstances, have been able to go on for quite some time with minimal progress, especially when the alternative is often portrayed as war. Uh, and so this could drag out for, I would say, the, the rest of the administration's tenure, I would think.
0: Yanka, what, what do you make of it? So also, what are the North Koreans doing? What are the South Koreans doing? Are they just going to play this out slowly? Are, are the South Koreans going to uh, make any moves in the meantime?
1: Uh, so President Moon doesn't have a he, – he's in a rush to some degree because he doesn't have uh, a next um, legislative period. He can only be president for his five-year term and then that's it. So um, so he will have to want to have this resolved within his legislation. Um, and uh, so I think there is – that's that one pressure from the South Korean side. But I, what I find more interesting is um, that some domestic improvements, and that would be something that only North Korea can deliver – um, where you could see some improvements in the human rights field where actually no one can object to that uh, and where, where they would gain some positive momentum. And that's something that we could see over the next couple of months and where Kim Jong-un would be able to create a more beneficial uh, negotiating environment for himself without actually giving up anything in terms of his nuclear programming. So I think we will see a lengthy process I wonder how long Donald Trump is interested in a lengthy process. Uh, he has not, he's been a bit of a short attention span. So maybe this is something that could be difficult in the long run. Um, but it, a lengthy process with uh, South Koreans heavily engaged, with China interested in this being a success to some degree, um, is not the worst outcome that could happen on the peninsula.
0: Okay, Andrew, you have the last word. Do you think there's any chance that this ends with? North Korea actually giving up its nuclear capabilities or maybe just with giving up its uh, ICBM capabilities should we sleep safely here
3: Well that's it, it's the latter scenario that I was kind of interested in 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 this case um you have a a version of these negotiations in which um The Trump administration and the president personally can point to a significant win if they are able to make uh, progress on the ICBM side. They can... Turn around and say, um, coming into this administration, um, uh, we we were facing um, a threat to you know. I mean, we've we've all gone through and and done the North Korean warhead um, striking U.S. cities um, uh, online um, simulator. I'm I'm sure. Um, uh, Maybe not. (laughs) I have. I have. Um, I have uh, to admit, scary. uh, but I, I, I think this has been quite a a, a, a common uh, thing here in DC in, in in tracing. You know, what if it hits the Pentagon? What if it hits the White House? What's the fallout? Um, the, but I mean, seriously, you you've moved into a zone for the first time in in decades in which a new country has arrived with the capacity to hit the continental United States. Um, if you have a set of negotiations um, in which uh, those capacities, um, even if they can, as as Young has suggested, be be then replaced at another um, juncture, um, if there is a story that says um, there is no longer a threat to the continental United States, um, and on the North Korean side that they were able to uh, also front-load sanctions relief, they could retain um, a, a nuclear uh program the, the longer term negotiations play out the administration can point to a sort of quick and and not meaningless win in certain respects north korea gets sanctions relief that that that's the kind of ally worrying scenario um uh in but but one in 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 which um uh, it, it's not inconceivable that you could you could have some sort of progress um and so that that's that, that's always been as soon as as soon as the the, the process got going i mean that, that that that's always been the um uh the the the, the set of eventualities that kind of wondered about you haven't necessarily had the scope in the past to uh have such a clear wedge between allies interests um and um, and a version of what U.S. interests look like. And it's a version that this president seems to subscribe to, uh, as well. Um, and, and so if you're sitting in Pyongyang looking for, um, a way in which you can, um, entrench your nuclear program, um, uh, uh, Create, uh, uh, gain direct and immediate benefits in, in terms of military exercises being conducted in your periphery, gain immediate benefits in terms of sanctions relief. It may actually be uh, worth giving up um, some elements of your of your program in in return for some of these things. Of course, the administration has in in the initial discussion said that you know the the, the um, uh, sanctions relief and things would not follow until there was a more comprehensive um, agreement that was that was reached. And blah, blah, blah. Um, in practice, we're already even with the. Limited things that've already played out, seeing a significant easing of the maximum pressure campaign, particularly from fr- from the Chinese side, and I I expect others would 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 follow. So um, uh, I I I doubt that if if it comes down to it, um, uh, uh, that 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 position will, will will hold. And again, particularly if there is a really tangible win that can be pointed to, that could be pointed to in a relatively short space of time. Great or
0: not great, we we shall see. Despite our best efforts, we uh, also leave this. Uh, problem unsolved but I have a feeling we will return to this question a few more times on this podcast so I want to thank all of you guys for joining us and I want to thank Zach Tarrant our sound designer as always thank you Zach